Welcome to the preaching podcast of Life Point Church. We're so glad you've joined us here. If you're ever in the Baton Rouge area, please stop by. We'd love to meet you. For more information on our church or Pastor Donovan, please visit our website at golifepoint.com. We move any further. Father, thank you so much for your word, for the book of Revelation that we've been going through a little at a time, trying to grasp and understand it. I pray that you would anoint me to speak tonight, God. Anoint us to hear. Speak to us from this incredible, incredible book. We give you praise for it in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. Now, I want to do a little bit of review. Uh, We saw religious Babylon in chapter 17. We've seen what some would say is commercial Babylon in Revelation 18, but I've expressed to you that I see them kind of one and the same, at least heavily intertwined. And you could almost say this is cultural Babylon. You know, culture is powerful. And with the Internet and social media, there's a global culture. And news travels fast, and people like the same things. People are slaves to fashion, slaves to trends. And, and slaves to sayings and hashtag this and hashtag that. There's a cultural globalism like never before, instantaneous. You know, what's trending on Twitter? What's trending on Instagram? It's incredible the way this works now. And so you can see where people are indoctrinated through a religious and a cultural side of Babylon. Let's look at verse 3. Uh, Just in review, for all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. She's poisoned the world with her idolatry, and the world will partake of her judgment as a result. However, we looked at this, verses 4 and 5. I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins, lest you receive of her plagues. For her sins have reached to heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. So this is interesting. As bad as Babylon has been painted in these verses we've looked at, here we have the mercy of God being expressed. And and the, the word of the Lord saying, come out of her. This could be a warning to his people, which would be the Jews, possibly tribulation saints. And then... It says her sins have reached to heaven and God remembered her iniquities. So this this is Babylon and her sins have reached to heaven is interesting because she had her beginning in the tower of Babel, the valley of Shinar. And they built a tower and the end game was that it would reach into heaven. And so here you have Babylon Her sins have reached into heaven. We saw this in Genesis 11. We spent a little time on it last week. It's just fascinating to me. Her sins finally reached heaven. In other words, you know, they wouldn't have built a a, a tower that that went to literal heaven. Uh, The cosmonauts, as a matter of fact, when they first got into space, they said, we didn't see God. And they were expressing an atheist point of view. You Christians think that God is in heaven. There is, we didn't see him. We didn't see heaven. We didn't see God. It was a sarcasm as if just going high enough in the sky, we would see God or we would see heaven. I don't think that's what the Bible has ever intentionally meant uh, or tried to convey that. I think it is uh, other dimensional 
And, and so what does this mean? Finally reached heaven. If this is the fulfillment of the original intent of the Tower of Babel. They finally accomplished this global, worldwide, uh, this is the end of an epic beginning. Uh, this is an epic story. It's huge. Uh, and, and none of this caught God by surprise. He knows the end from the beginning. And so we spent some time on that. Listen to the podcast. You can get a little bit more. Uh, but in 1714, this is interesting. We saw where they will make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb will overcome them, for He is Lord of Lords, King of Kings. And those who are with Him are called, chosen, and faithful. I want to spend just a moment on this. So they make war with the Lamb. In other words, the Lamb is doing battle, per se, with the Antichrist, the kings of the earth, and those who are with Him. So there's an army with Him. We'll, we'll get some more verses on that. But I love this. It says that if you're with the Lord when He returns, so this is after the rapture, this is the church coming back during the tribulation, going to the battle of Armageddon. Those who are with Him are called, chosen, faithful. Makes me think of Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. For whom He foreknew, He predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom He predestined, He also called. Whom He called, those He also justified. Whom He justified, those He also Glorified. So here's the glorified saints coming back, and they're called, called, chosen, and faithful. You may recall in Matthew 22, 14, Jesus said, Many are called, but few are chosen. And this was in reference to a parable that he was teaching about a royal wedding that was taking place. And in Revelation 19, we're going to get into the bride the Lamb's bride and the, well, the, the, the supper of the Lamb. So the celebration of a royal wedding, you might say. And this idea of the church coming back and warring, there's something interesting that Jesus' half-brother Jude wrote in uh, Jude. There's only one chapter, verse 14 says, but listen to this. Now Enoch... The seventh from Adam prophesied about these men also saying, Behold, the, behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints. Now, let me just say this. The book of Jude is a, a, a book that is dealing with heresy, okay? It's dealing with false doctrine, false teaching, stuff that goes back to Babylon, that goes back to the Valley of Shinar, and Nimrod and all that. We've spent time there. And so Jude is writing this and, and, and reaching way back to Enoch, the seventh from Adam. And he prophesied about these men, men in Jude's day, 4,000 years later. And you might say, men that are still in our day, even 2,000 years after that. Behold, the Lord comes with 10,000s of his saints to execute judgment on all, all those, those men, to, judge, to execute justice on all, to convict all who are 
ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have committed in an ungodly way and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. You would think he would find you know another word to use for ungodly instead of constantly saying it, but nevertheless, he's emphasizing it, right? Ungodly. And he says, these are grumblers, complainers, walking, listen, according to their own lusts, desires, and, and they mouth great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. But you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken before, listen to this, by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we've got to keep that in mind. The words that were spoken by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how they told you that there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own ungodly lust. Now, he just made a reference back to the seventh from Adam, Enoch. We know in Babylon, it was the same spirit, right, that was loosed through Nimrod. So there's nothing new under the sun. Like heresy today, don't let that blow your mind. You know when people have false doctrine, false you know, misconceptions from the word, it, there's nothing new under the sun. It's, it's, all, it's all been around from the very beginning, as we'll see here in a moment. But notice it says, that remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles. And they told you there would be mockers in the last times. And he goes on and says a, a, a lot of interesting stuff there. But notice, ten thousands of his saints coming with the Lord. Well, we're looking at that stuff in Revelation 17, 18. And a lot of this that's spoken of in, the, in these verses in Revelation 17, 18 and throughout Revelation, these are, these are words that relate to covenant. Are you with me? <laughs> you don't have to fake it, right? Uh, isn't this exciting? You can fake that one. Now, God's solution to the fall of man is, after all, related to covenant. And immediately, hell began to fight against the words of the covenant. And Babylon's efforts failed to thwart God's covenant redemption plan. And Abraham's faith prevailed in bringing about God's redemptive plan. And even prior to Abraham, back with Enoch and, and so on. Now, let's look at verses 6 through 10 for just a moment. It, it just, look, look, just look at the end of verse 10, because we went through these quickly last time. For in one hour, judgment has come. Babylon, the mighty city, has, has been destroyed here. This is, this is judgment. Verses 11 through 20, again, notice in verse 12, purple, scarlet. You see precious wood, bronze, iron, and marble in verse 12. And then in verses 13, uh, verse 13 incense, fragrant oil, frankincense, uh, uh, frankincense, wine, and oil. On and on you have this idea of, again, purple and scarlet, uh, the great city, verse 15. Uh, and then in verse 20, and, and I want to spend a little time, especially with that Jude passage in mind here, verse 20. Rejoice over her, O heaven, 
and you holy apostles and prophets. For God has avenged you on her. This, this is just, this is stunning to me. The fall of Babylon is a vindication of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. This is, God has avenged the 12 apostles of the Lamb on her. And all the Old and New Testament prophets. God has vindicated the 12 and has vindicated the prophets of God who proclaimed, and I might add, also laid down their lives for the word of God. Babylon represents the opposition of what they were speaking. But the lamb has overcome and has vindicated, has put out this price on the head of Babylon and has collected the bounty, has succeeded in winning this this victory that we're reading about here in Genesis, I mean Genesis, in Revelation 17 and 18, this victory was prophesied by God. The holy prophets of God prophesied that this would take place. God started the ball rolling in Genesis 3.15. Stick with me for a minute. In Genesis 3.15, it's the proto-evangel. It's the first mention of the gospel in your Bible. The seed of the woman would bruise the head of the serpent. This would be the undoing of the curse. God started the ball rolling with that prophetic word in Genesis 3.15. And then draped Adam and Eve in bloody skins and explained to them. We know this was explained to them because they passed it on to their kids. This, Adam and Eve, is how you will approach me by putting your faith in the blood of the Lamb, knowing that I will send a Redeemer, but you will put your faith in the blood of the Lamb. It was faith which came by hearing and hearing by the Word of God, and it was looking forward to the finished work of Christ. So all the way back in the garden, which I might add, the river Euphrates is where the Babylon, the city of Babylon is, which is on the borders of the Garden of Eden. Interesting, right? It all ends up where it all started. You know what I mean? You've got this connection here. And so the, the, the word was the finished work of Christ will come along. Adam passes the message down. In, in Revelation, it says this is the vindication. This is justice has been served for the blood of the prophets and the apostles. Let me ask you, do you know who the first prophet in the Bible that is mentioned by name is Abel. Abel is called a prophet. Now think about this. This is fascinating to me. So welcome to my fascination Bible study. Abel was a true prophet. Cain was a false prophet. Abel said, you have to offer blood. Cain said, it doesn't really matter. 
That's the roots of Babylon. That's the beginning of Nimrod. That's where Nimrod got it. Cain was a city builder. So was Nimrod. Where did he get it? He got it from Cain. And what did Cain do? He killed the first prophet, the true prophet of the true and living God. Cain was a rebel, self-centered. Self-made men tend to worship their creator. He had a better idea. He had a better way of doing this. Unless you think I'm nuts, I'm just telling you, Jesus, Jesus not only knew this, Jesus is the one that reveals this to us. For instance, in John chapter 8, he looked at those who would kill him. And he said, he said, the devil was a murderer from the beginning. And he said, and his will, meaning the devil's will, the will of the enemy, he said to those religious Jews, he said, you, you will accomplish it. In other words, I am the lamb. I, I am the seed of the woman. I am the lamb of God, the same lamb that we're reading about in Revelation. This is Jesus, the glorified son of the living God, the lamb of God, almighty God, robed in flesh, the redeemer, the incarnate one. This is that same lamb that we're reading about over here in the book of Revelation at the end of the story. And he was saying, you will kill this lamb. This blood will shed, which is what the enemy's been doing all along, trying to do all along, killing the prophets, killing the word. He is the word made flesh, going to kill the word. Jesus is often referred to in the New Test- in the Old Testament as the prophet that is to come. And so here's the ultimate fulfillment of killing the prophet. Here, here it is. He said, you will accomplish what, what they've all tried to do from the beginning. Now, listen to the words of Jesus in Luke 11. Look at Luke 11, 45 through 51. Then one of the lawyers answered and said to him, Anthony. I'm just kidding, right? This is not the same kind of lawyer, my bad. <laughs> Teacher, by saying these things, You reproach us. And Jesus said, I'm so sorry. My bad. No. (laughs) Right? He he just put salt on the wound. Woe to you also, lawyers. Now, if you look at the verses prior to this, he's just been scathing these people, man. He said, Woe to you also, lawyers, for you load men with burdens hard to bear and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you, for you built the tombs of the prophets, and your fathers killed them. In fact, you bear witness that you approve the deeds of your fathers, for they indeed killed them, and you build their tombs. Therefore, the wisdom of God also said, I will send them prophets, and apostles, and some of them they will kill and persecute. That the blood of all the prophets which was shed, listen, from the foundation of the world, that's Genesis, 
from the foundation of the world may be required of this generation. From the blood of who? Abel, first prophet named. To the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the temple. Yes, I say to you, it shall be required of this generation. Notice, the prophets and apostles. Abel was first. Zechariah, in the way the Hebrew Bible was arranged, Second Chronicles 24 was the last book of their Bible in the, in the arrangement there. And so he's saying from first to last. And we also know that the blood of righteous Abel, we know this from the Old Testament, the New Testament, cried out from the ground for vengeance. And we just read in Revelation where vengeance has been had. What we just read, that is the vengeance. One little detour here, Acts 7, 51. This is Stephen's amazing message. It's really hard to understand uh, a lot of detail from the Old Testament, a lot of these stories. In other words, there are pieces missing that if you read the message of Stephen in Acts chapter 7, you get some gaps filled in. It really answers a lot of questions. It's pretty incredible. He was quite the scholar. Acts 7, 51 through 53, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. Man, we're too soft in church anymore, right? You know, right? I mean, we just got Jesus saying, woe to you lawyers, you know? And then and here you got Stephen following right along, you know, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. I mean, just, I mean, that's not lovely. Just, I wonder if he had media, you know what I'm saying? Like, what would you put up for your media for that, you know? Like, like th- this is... This is just not what you see anymore. You stiff-necked and uncircumcised and hardened ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one, of whom you now have become the betrayers and murderers who have received the law by the direction of angels and have not kept it. Notice that. They resisted the Holy Spirit. Now, you know, I come from a Pentecostal background. We believe in speaking in tongues, the moving of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit. We believe in the New Testament expressions of the Holy Spirit most definitely And things changed. You know, the Holy Spirit was poured out in a way the Holy Spirit had not been poured out on the day of Pentecost because of what had happened at the cross. That had never happened before. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, we had this explosion into the earth's atmosphere and the envelope around the earth of the power of God. That's why there's this sound like a rushing mighty wind, like thunder all at once. Just Holy Spirit breaks in. And everything changes. We're living in that time right now. Everything changed with the giving of the Holy Spirit. But notice, this is being of old covenant people who resisted the Holy Spirit. Now, they didn't speak in tongues back in in Zechariah and Malachi. That couldn't happen until the blood of the Lamb had been shed. But they still resisted the Holy Spirit. How did they do that? They resisted the word that was coming out of the prophet's mouth. To resist the word is to resist the Holy Spirit. Do you know that? People are like, uh, I I don't believe, I'm not going to speak in tongues. 
And we'll say, well, that's resisting the Holy Spirit. I, I don't want to pursue that. I don't believe in that. I believe that's of the devil or whatever. And we're like, boy, you're, you're, you're resisting the Holy Spirit. Actually, technically, you're resisting the Word. And to resist the Word is to resist the Holy Spirit. You can speak with tongues. But if you're resisting the Word in other areas, you're resisting the Holy Spirit in that area. See what I mean? That's part of discipleship is learning how to yield and submit to the Word and the Holy Spirit. So, so here Stephen says that they resisted the Holy Spirit by resisting the Word and they killed the prophets. They killed the prophets. Again, the, the Holy Spirit is... Uh, is, is almost cliche too, the, the terminology. You know, a lot of people say, well, that's, a, you know, that's Mr. Holy Spirit to you. You know, he's the third person in the, in the Godhead. He's, he's the, uh, the, the third person in the Trinity. People will say that he is, uh, um, uh, the, his first name is Holy, his last name is Spirit. You know, Mr. Spirit, his first name's Holy. Uh, the truth of the matter is, this is the, there's one God. This is the Spirit, the eternal Spirit of the living God. The word holy doesn't mean he's morally perfect. Obviously, God is morally perfect. This is not a designation to say, oh, and by the way, he's morally perfect. Holy is always used in connection to relationship, in connection to covenant. Holy matrimony, right? This is set apart for the good of my covenant partner. This is the eternal spirit of the living God that's been set apart for the good of his covenant partners. Brothers and sisters, why would I want to resist the spirit of the living God who has set himself apart for my good and my benefit? And what he does is he gives me instruction and he gives me a word and he says, walk with me and I will bless you in ways that you can't get blessed any other way. Why would I resist and say no? I'll tell you why. Because of Babylon. Because of that, that old devil that fell and that fallen human nature that says, I got a better way. I can get to heaven on my own merits. I can find a way. I don't need you. Whereas faith, like you see with Abel and like you see with Enoch and like you see with Abraham and like you see with the prophets and the apostles says, I can't do this on my own. But whatever you tell me to do, however you tell me to walk, that's the way I'm going to walk. And when you do that, there is power, the power of God that is released and unleashed in your life. Are you with me? Something powerful about it, man. Like just poking around in these verses here. It's, it's interesting. This is the Spirit set apart for our good. It's the Holy Spirit. And, and these are called the holy apostles and prophets. They foretold of the coming of the Holy One. And notice angels are involved in covenant things. We're not in this alone. We've seen angels all throughout the book of Revelation. As a matter of fact, one is helping John where we're reading right now in the book of Revelation. And we're going to see another one about to enter in, into the scene. So let's look at verses 21 through 24. Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, Thus with violence the great city Babylon shall be thrown down and shall not be found anymore. The sound of harpists, musicians, flutists, flautists, 
and trumpeteers shall not be heard in you anymore. No craftsman of any craft shall be found in you anymore. And sound of a millstone shall not be heard in you anymore. The light of a lamp shall not shine in you anymore. The voice of the bridegroom and bride shall not be heard in you anymore. For your merchants were the great men of the earth. For by your sorcery, the word is pharmakia, it's, it's, it's Greek for where we get pharmacy or drugs. Remember, the nations were intoxicated. All the nations were deceived. And in her was found, listen, the blood of prophets and saints and of all who were slain on the earth. So this is the reason the judgment went down. This is vengeance. Now, I mentioned Daniel 2, 31 through 33 last time. Uh, and we have this great image. I've got a picture of it. The head of, of, of gold, the chest and arms of silver, the belly and thighs of bronze, legs of iron, uh, feet partly of iron and partly of clay. And, and, and we know that this represents the kingdoms of mankind. We'll see this in our study in Daniel. We'll spend some more time on it. This is from Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Daniel interpreted it, uh, gave it to Nebuchadnezzar. It's powerful. But then in, in verses 34 and 35, you watch while a stone was cut out without hands, which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them into pieces. I've got a picture of that too. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, silver, and the gold were crushed together and became like chaff in the summer threshing floors. The wind just carried them away. There was not a trace of them to be found. In other words, the kingdoms of this earth, we'll see this later in Revelation, are becoming the kingdoms of our God and of His Christ. The stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. So what was that stone? What is that stone? Jesus said this in, in Matthew 21, and I'm not trying to overload you with Scripture. There's just so much in these Scriptures. It's just packed. Genesis, uh, Matthew 21, 42 through 44, Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the Scriptures the stone, everybody say the stone, which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone? Now how many of you know who that's talking about? That's Jesus Christ. This was the Lord's doing, and it's marvelous in our eyes. Therefore I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a nation bearing the fruits of it, and whoever falls on this stone will be broken but on whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. The stone filling up the earth in Revelation and in Daniel here is, is the kingdom of God. Isaiah 9, 6, Christmas verse, right? For unto us a child is born, a son is given. The government will be upon his shoulder. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. I preached about this Sunday, right? His name, right? His name. His, we don't even know what YHWH is supposed to sound like, but his name, I know one name. His name, Jesus. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. All of that summed up when you say Jesus. And look at verse 7. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, in order to it, uh, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from this time forward, even forever the zeal of the Lord will perform this. When Jesus spoke of the stone in, in Matthew 21, you know what day it was? It was Palm Sunday. And so as I was processing this, when, when over there in 
Matthew 21, Jesus said, the, the stone which the builders rejected, it's Palm Sunday, he's about to be crucified, right? He's feeling the weight of the world. The stone which the builders rejected, I, he came unto his own and his own received him not. He said, he said, if you'll fall on this stone, then basically you'll be saved. But if this stone falls on you, so on Palm Sunday is when he's saying that. Weight of the world crashing in on him. And he knew, I will prevail. He gave the Olivet Discourse, speaking of the last days, fully aware that the, the whole last day scenario, Olivet Discourse, that the stone would fall and crush the Antichrist. He knew the glory of the Lord would cover the earth and the knowledge of the glory of the Lord like the waters cover the sea from Habakkuk, one of the prophets. Can I just say this right now before we jump into chapter 19? You're on the winning side. You're on the winning side. Like, no matter what happens, what, I mean, I don't care who's in office, y'all. I'm telling you. Now, I'm going to vote. I think it's my civic duty. I'm going to pray about who to vote for. I'm going I'm to push when I need to push and, and, and push against when I need to push against. I'm, I'm not against any of that. And if any of you want to run for office, go for it, man. We need some good godly people in office, amen? We need some legislation that makes sense, that's not ignorant, that's not going against the Word of God because, man, there's, there's bad things when we go against the Word of God. But having said that, it doesn't matter because I'm just telling you, the thing, it's going to get worse and worse and worse. But in the end, we're on the winning side. I'm just telling you, we're on the winning side. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm on the winning side. Jesus Christ is that stone. And, and I, I'm, I'm going to be riding back with him. And um, he can handle my problems. He can handle all this. He can handle my problems. He can handle your problems too. Chapter 19, verses 1 through 3. After these things, listen. After these things, I heard a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah. Salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments because he has judged the great harlot who corrupted the earth with her fornication and he has avenged on her the blood of his servants shed by her. Again they said, Hallelujah. Her smoke rises up forever and ever. Heaven in this scenario, is rejoicing over the failure of hell to thwart hell's uh, war. Uh, uh, the failure of hell to thwart God's redemptive plan. And that's why you have this hallelujah chorus being sung. Salvation and glory and honor and power belongs to our God. For true and righteous are his judgment. He judged the great harlot. Babylon, who corrupted the earth with her message. And he has avenged the blood of his servants who, who were persecuted by her throughout the eons of time, beginning with Cain, killing Abel. Abel's blood cried out, and here you have the vengeance. Cain is in that number. Or Abel is in that number saying, Hallelujah. Zechariah is in that number saying, Hallelujah. Isaiah was sawed in half. He, he was in that number saying, Hallelujah. The, the, the apostles who were slain, John's the only one that wasn't killed. They tried to kill him. He died a natural death. 
but he died suffering. He was exiled to Patmos, etc. The thing about it is those apostles are in that number crying out, Hallelujah! Hallelujah! We have seen the fulfillment. We knew it was true. We have seen it come to pass, and you've judged the harlot. It's amazing. He's avenged the blood of his servants. And, and notice the, the 24 elders. This is the last we'll see of the 24 elders because they are a representation. If you'll remember, you can go back and listen to the podcast. They're a representation of Old and New Testament saints. And I believe from here on, they converge with, they, they become part of what is referenced to as the wife of the Lamb or as we know, the bride of Christ. Verses 4 through 10, And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God, who sat on the throne saying, Amen, Alleluia. Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you his servants and those who fear him, both small and great. And I heard as it were the voice of a great multitude as the sound of many waters and as the sound of mighty thundering saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready and to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, Right, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true sayings of God and I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, See that you do not do that. I'm your fellow servant and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. This is fascinating. I wouldn't have written this if I were John. This is embarrassing. Do you see what he just did? He just fell down and started worshiping an angel. This is John. John who walked with Jesus Christ. John who's laid this revelation out for us. John who walked and talked with him. John who had a revelation of the risen Savior. John who wrote 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, the Gospel of John, the book of Revelation. And he's so overwhelmed by this moment. This is the culmination, y'all. This is, this is the Adam and the Eve. This is the last Adam and the last Eve. This is the bride of Christ with the resurrected Savior. This is the culmination of the redemptive plan of God. And John is so overwhelmed in the moment. He's caught up in the moment that the angel showing him all this and he fell at his feet to worship the angel. He just falls. He forgets about what he's doing. He just falls at an angel's feet. And the angel says, "Get what are you doing? Get up, boy. I'm a fellow servant just like you are. We're both worshiping the same God. But he's so overwhelmed in the moment. He's seeing it play. Folks, this is what we're after. This is where we're going. You hear what I'm saying? The marriage supper of the Lamb. This is where we celebrate the covenant. It is finished, brothers and sisters. We have a glorified body. We are living forever and ever and ever. The blood of the Lamb has, has completed His redemptive work, not only in us, but throughout the earth. The deception, the deceiver, is on his way down, and John's caught up in the moment. Stand with me right now. I can see I'm probably going to have to do a little more digging on this and make it a little plainer. It's for crying out loud, it's just you got to do something with these verses. They're not the easiest verses in the world, right? Just digging around. There's some powerful stuff, though, man. 
powerful stuff. Uh, we'll get into some of the body of Christ stuff, which is Ephesians 5, 2 Corinthians 11. And, uh, and, and let, let me just close with this, though. I just, just, just something about, something about seeing truth in the Bible. Do you know that we, we lack the ability with our intellect to understand the Bible? And you know this. I had a college professor who knew more about the Bible than anybody in this room. But he was so ignorant about the truth of the Word. He shared many things with me that I use to this day. But he just had no idea about the living Savior. There were so many pieces that he was missing. People know lots about the Bible who are not even Christians. We, we don't have the intellectual capacity to understand the Bible. It's spiritually discerned. It's revealed by the Holy Spirit. That's why when you resist the Word, you're resisting the Spirit. To resist the Word is to resist the Spirit. God reveals things to you. But lest we think that can't happen to us, that He can't reveal something to us, I'm here to tell you He can. When you see it in the Scripture, when the lights come on, boom. Like getting baptized, for instance. Getting baptized in the name above every name. I don't try to win arguments with people about that. I just try to share what Word says, what the holy apostles of the Lamb have said about it, and just how we need to match up, and then let the Holy Spirit convince and convict people. And rather than resisting and fighting and saying, who am I? Or listening to that voice, you know, that just that discouraging voice that says, you don't know anything. You don't know what you're talking about when it comes to the Bible. Don't act like you need to be baptized. Who are you? You were baptized as a baby. You were baptized as a kid. Why don't you trust that conviction, the Holy Spirit, that says, I think that's something I need to do. That is faith rising up. That's the Holy Spirit opening your eyes in your spirit, saying, this is the, the way. Walk in it. And if you'll yield to that and submit to that, there's powerful blessings that come, y'all. I mean, I'm kind of saying that with baptism. We just had some couple of powerful baptisms. We got one tonight. But that, that goes in every area of your life. If you just yield, Holy Spirit is saying, I can work with that. I, I can, man, I've got more for you. Come on, I got more for you. Because you're, you're called and you're chosen. And you're faithful and you're walking by faith. This is walking by faith. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word, for the conviction of your Holy Spirit, for the revelation of the Holy Spirit. Lord Jesus, when you looked at Peter, you said, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father has revealed this truth. You've been hearing word. And now the lights have come on. And you know something you couldn't have known otherwise. The Spirit revealed it to you. When He has come, He will lead and guide you into all truth. Father, that Spirit leads us and guides us. I thank you, Lord, for the yielding of your people, God, just submitting to that, taking us to higher heights and deeper blessings, Father. We give you praise for it right now in Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you were blessed. 
For more information on our church, Pastor Donovan, or service times, please visit our website at golifepoint.com.